This is Return to the Planet of the Apes, Episode 6, Terror on Ice Mountain. It's a madhouse! A madhouse! (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Amazingly Terrible, where we talk about flat earthers. That's actually kind of apropos for this week, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Derek, uh, what are we doing this week? We're doing Return to the Planet of the Apes, which was a... All right, ready? Here's my big yeah. nerd confession. I have never seen the Planet of the Apes, the original movie. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, so I'm, I'm familiar right. with the storyline where there are astronauts who go out into space... Some stuff happens. They crash land on a planet. There are some agrarian apes there um, with a bit more primitive uh, kind of lifestyles and technology than we saw in the cartoon. And then the, the show goes on, and the big reveal at the end is the Statue of, or the movie goes on. The big reveal at the end is the Statue of Liberty. They realize that they're on. Wait, 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 wait. You didn't what, say spoilers. What? Spoilers. Jesus. Okay, oh then God. you can just bleep that The one movie out. is only f- close to f- it's 70 almost 40 years, years old. old. <laughs> right? You bastard. Uh, no, so all right, so I got I got this episode. I was I was interested in it. I admittedly only watched this one twice. Unfortunately, today was a shit show, so didn't get a chance to do my review. But yeah, um, the first thing that I noticed going into this show was this was distinctive, like decidedly older than what we've been reviewing recently. Like that one just jumped recently. right out at me yeah. without even looking at the dates. So I stopped and looked it up. It wasn't necessarily a syndicated cartoon. It was more of a miniseries, and it was actually based off the novel, which I also was oblivious to that existing until yesterday. Um, And that's why in the show we see a bit more technologically advanced ape society because in the novel they actually were advanced. They had firearms. They had vehicles. They had television. um, Mm -hmm. They had advanced scientific laboratories and whatnot. Uh, And so the cartoon actually deals more with an adaptation from the book than it did necessarily from the movies. Um, I don't know whether or not it was produced based on the popularity of the movies because I believe that there were five films produced in in the 60s through 70s and then they weren't filmed again until Tim Burton did it in 2000. Don't quote me on that one. With Marky Mark and the Monkey Bunch. Yeah. I hated that movie. Oh, it's a work of staggering genius. It was (laughs) Tim Roth's finest film. So I'm actually kind of glad I, I picked this cartoon up because this is one where we talk about, like, do you remember watching this as a kid? No. Uh, this came out when my Firebird was brand new. <laughs> so yep. uh, Nice. Yeah, I was pre-dead is... for this cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> pre-dead. <laughs> yeah. It, to your point, Derek, the original book, which I think was written by Rod Sterling, but I don't actually know. The original book, or I think it was either a book or, like, a treatment for a screenplay. Uh, it took place in like a contemporary 1960s ape America. Yes, and um, it, it was like exactly parallel to our culture because, of course, it was like science fiction from the 60s and 70s. So it was a way to safely uh, draw a bead on all the weirdnesses of our culture without um, actually talking about our culture. So they were they were it was a way to parody us. Oh, but when they made the yeah, when they made the film, I think primarily for budget reasons, they said yes. it in the past. Yeah, 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 so that was that was one of the things that I found out when I learned that this was based off of a novella, some sort of written story, whether screenplay, short story, whatnot. 
Um, it was true. They did not have the budget to make the ape society a contemporary, modern, technologically advanced society, so they made them cavemen. Yeah, the biggest difference that I noticed was that in the cartoon, they seemed to have electricity, which was not present in the movie. Well, in the movie, they actually gave that one guy a lobotomy, so they had, you know, enough medical... Um... Yeah, it was, it was sort of a World War One era technology. They had guns, they had uh, fire hoses. But, but no did they, planes. Did they actually have, like, jeeps and stuff? Did they have... I don't remember seeing any cars. They, 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 they were, they were on horses. horses. Yeah, they were on horses. Was this, yeah. in, this is in the Return to the Planet of the Apes or the original Planet of the Apes? No, this the is original the original one. The they, they gave one of the uh, astronauts a lobotomy, and um, when the guy made a paper airplane, because they said, you know, it's impossible to yeah. fly, and that was the big shocker was when he just threw a little paper airplane, and they're like, oh! of course, then in the movie, the big reveal was when he does talk, and he's like, get your damn hands off me, you dirty apes. Doesn't he say, like, damn dirty apes? You damn say, dirty apes. Yeah. He's like, damn hands off me, you damn dirty apes. Get your dirty damn hands off my dirty ha- apes. Damn. Damn it. Wait, what? Damn <laughs> dick. Damn it. I'll damn your river. Um, I actually haven't seen Planet of the Apes in its entirety. I've seen, like, <laughs> snippets of it. I'll watch, like, 10 to 20 minutes of it at a time. But when yeah, I was a kid. Yeah, just, until, you know, just until you come, right? Just, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Uh, when I was a kid, Planet of the Apes was not, like, it wasn't a cool sci-fi. It was, like, a weird cerebral <laughs> sci-fi for adults because it was boring. Yeah, it's, a, it's like a Saturday afternoon movie. Yeah, I um, that's kind of why I always hated it. Yeah. I always hated this property because yeah. I, I, I always thought, like, it had that reputation of, like, oh, this is, like, clever. It's and, cerebral. Yeah. yeah, and then I watched it and I was like, this is fucking dumb. <laughs> Like soiling green. Old people from olden times were dumb. Like honestly, the the bit that I got when I was a kid of Planet of the Apes was at the end of Spaceballs, and I thought that was more than enough. <laughs> 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 so. That's great. Yeah, that's a cerebral science fiction right there. Spaceballs. Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, in this episode you guys are getting not only my episode reactions, you're getting my exposure to Planet of the Apes. Nice. Ironically, uh, the sixth movie that wasn't released was actually called Exposure to Planet of the Apes, and it was uh, <laughs> was not well received. So. It was a little just, bit more of a racy flick. If yeah, you know just, what I mean. Charlton Heston <laughs> dipping his dick in vodka. It, it was a pre-furry movie um, and has a huge cult <laughs> following. So I have, a, I have a quick question, David. Hmm? If... If I'm if I'm not mistaken, was the did the Planet of the Apes have like this super intelligent humanoid races that lived underground worshiping an atomic bomb, or was that something else? That's the second movie. Yeah, that is the second movie. Right. Okay, okay. Mm. That's that's Return. No, I think the second movie is Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Oh, okay. Okay, that would make more that sense. Makes sense. So yeah, the uh, to clarify a couple things. One, the original work is. However you say this in French, La Planète des Singes, written by Pierre Boulet. So that's oh, the okay. actual written written work. Um, and then the films, 68 was Planet of the Apes, 70 was Beneath the Planet of the Apes, 71, Escape from Planet of the Apes, 72, Conquest of Planet of the Apes, and 73, Battle for Planet of the Apes. And then our series here started in 1975 and ran through 1976. Well, you're skipping so, the 74 
live action Planet of the Apes. Oh, the TV oh, show. Oh, that is the right. Planet of the Apes TV show. That's, yeah. Let's get into wow. that. I think we found out who our closet Planet of the Apes fan yeah, is. Yeah, do you run the Planet of the Apes wiki? <laughs> I do not. Mm, I'm just going to edit this. <laughs> I, I took a look oh, at that. That's that's way too big. It, someone's, someone's definitely watching that. <laughs> so are you just scouring the internet looking for un- unguarded wikis <laughs> pretty much <laughs> <laughs> trying to mold the internet to your will perfect unguarded wikis. find the uh, uh, the young and the sick wikis to pick them off yeah uh. in the movies did they ever address how the apes became essentially the the intelligent dominant species on earth and humans became the humanoids only in the most recent one yeah, yeah james franco did james franco ones yeah. the original ones sort of addressed how the apes uplifted humans destroyed themselves was the was the science fiction answer mm-hmm. or the, the social human- commentary answer the humans destroyed themselves and then the apes were left to the planets uh to the planet and then they just kind of became uh intelligent Evolved. in the the most recent movie it had more to do with time travel and paradoxes and stuff like that that was in the original series too yeah was it was it yes zira and her, her mate go back in time and have a child oh, and that child uh inter interbreeds with the contemporary uh apes and they sort of start uh, evolving from that point interesting when was that revealed was that escape from planet of the apes uh, that's when the child was born. Yeah. Oh yes, that was one of the 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 subsequent movies. Um, there was a big virus or something that affected mm-hmm. all of the cats and dogs or pets, basically. Yep. So the entire world had to put down all of their pets, and then they started keeping hum- apes as pets. Humanity's yeah. grieving for pets, turned them to apes to have you know having chimpanzees as pets, and that's why all humanity got their faces ripped off. Yep. Pretty much. Basically. So <clears throat> the people who went back in time, was th- those were apes that went back in time? Apparently yes. they were horny apes. <laughs> oh, so they were, they were intelligent apes. <laughs> well, their Had kid was baby horny. Intelligently in horny. 1960s Earth. And then the baby it, intelligent apes started interbreeding with the primitive apes. And then that's... So it's like, the, it's like a self-licking ice cream cone. So like, what... Yeah. How do we get? How do we get intelligent people to send people back? You know, it's the wait, 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 wait. it's a, it's the circular time loop. It's a time loop, yeah. basically. Yeah, it's terminated. So, it's John Connor yeah. and his best friend. Like, dude, yeah. you got to go back and bang my mom. <laughs> like, wait, what? About my best friend. It's he not even that. It's, it's Terminator Three, <laughs> where it's not where the dates aren't lining up with the previously established canon. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. It was a reboot. <laughs> so, do you think, like, when John Connor like went to Reese? And like sat him down, was like, "You're going on a mission back in time." He was like, "Listen, man, there's, there's two here's some super mouthwash. fucking important some things that you have to do. Yeah, you yeah. have to yeah, defeat the enemy Terminator, and you have to come in my mom. Like, <laughs> did, did he really lay that one out? Do you think?" I think it was more like no. John Connor seemed like a smart guy, so he's probably like, hey, you know, I'm sending you back on this super secret mission back in time. We're going to give you a briefing, you know, really important briefing. Look out for Terminators, one. And two, uh, this is my mom's favorite TV show, Dallas. <laughs> uh, this is my mom's favorite color. This is uh, her favorite brand of uh, body wash, massage oil. 
This is how you shave. Ox wine. <laughs> make make sure if, you're well groomed down there. And if you use 1980s condoms, it will kill you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will die. Yeah. The Little time paradox fact. will explode you on the spot. Uh, the 1980s condoms yeah. were just filled with cancer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know why that's useful information, but thanks. Thanks, uh, John. And uh, according to her diary, this is my mom's cycle. We suggest <laughs> hanging around these days. <laughs> Yikes. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Going to hell for this episode. Moving along. So yep. this cartoon came out in 1975, like you mentioned, Derek. Yeah. Yep. The interesting thing is, Thundar came out in 1972, right? Mm. Oh, really? I believe Thundar was a superior cartoon to this one. I'm gonna I'm gonna stake that claim right now. The animation quality of this cartoon is very very poor. Yeah. So that is that was one of the things I was gonna bring up. Uh, and that from from doing this podcast, I've started to really kind of look at animation quality. And I think Matt brought it up. I, I don't remember if it was last episode or, or two episodes ago, where he talked about the Hanna Barbera style of animation, where it's yep. very clearly a still, um, and the only thing that's animated is like their eyes and mouth. And there were multiple times, mm-hmm. more than multiple, like a good chunk of the episode was animated just like that. And then the uh, which we'll get into the skiing scene was very clearly one cell of like 10 skiers in a row that they just kept sliding across just another cell. Across. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And they did it countless times. It's a good thing um, they are always going downhill. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. Those guys always are <laughs> the heroes are always below the troops. You'll also notice that in a lot of scenes, particularly scenes with two characters, um, one of the characters is facing away from the camera so that they only have to animate one person's mouth. Mm-hmm. I did not pick up on that. And on, on any any establishing scenes where they have more than two characters, like uh, where we meet the uh, where we meet the astronauts, etc., uh, we are so far away from the characters that they're just black silhouettes. And then we cut. There's no medium shot. We cut right to close-ups of the two char- of two two or one character. Interesting. I was also noticing there's a lot of strobe effects. This is. Before the time of uh, of seizure warnings, the thing that I didn't get about this was they they used a lot of um, dramatic pacing and a lot of dramatic um, uh, quote unquote camera work in mm-hmm. this show that that they would normally use for a movie like this, where they would actually do like close ups of people's faces to get like the reaction shot or a close up of somebody else's face to like to show concern. And it, it is also poorly animated, and it's a still shot. So there's, like, nothing to convey in those close-ups. Yeah. But it does it constantly. But it just kills a couple seconds. Yeah, it kills a couple seconds, but it, it would seem like to somebody that is used to, like, a more of a dramatic style of uh, storytelling, they'd be used to something like this. But it doesn't it, fucking work in a cartoon. And it doesn't work yeah. in a cartoon of this caliber. So I think that as we get closer to contemporary storytelling storytelling gets a lot more specific whereas like i'm thinking of the period in which they're on the balloon right there's this indeterminate time when they are quote-unquote just in danger right and we get these kind of aspect shots of their hands holding the ropes but Mm -hmm. we're never really clear what exactly is occurring during that time just like this is the danger period bad things bad things might be happening vaguely 
and then we come out of that. Whereas, like, a lot of times now, like, we we expect to see specifically what is occurring during the danger period. And if there isn't a whole lot happening during that period, but there is, you are trying to convey something that is dangerous, you can have, like, a, a little bit more of a concise showing of what that is, show a close call, have the characters, unfortunately, have the characters tell and not show, which is something that happens a lot in these cartoons that we're watching, yeah. and, then, and then, like, move on. The, the issue I was having with this was most of the cartoons that we've been watching so far tend to be trying to cram like a 45 minute to an hour long story, actual story, into a 20 minute program. So they keep skipping beats. They keep on like moving on. They keep on telling and not showing. Hmm. But in this cartoon, it's like they took five minutes worth of story, stuck it in the first 15 minutes of this cartoon, and then tried to cram 40 minutes of story in the last five minutes. <laughs> I just yes. think they were like, yeah, I mean, like, the first 10 minutes of the cartoon c- could cover, like, months and months of work. And then we spend mm, an indeterminable amount of time in that snowstorm just getting nothing out of it and and really, it probably covers maybe like 15 minutes of actual time. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it just seems like they, it, the story pacing of this just seems like it's way off. Like way, way, way off. So even if they wanted to show like a montage of them having that time pass in the first like 10 minutes. Because obviously, it would take a great deal of time to pass <laughs> in order for them to build the hot air balloon that they use. They could have they done that in montage. They could have done that in... in something relatively quick. All right, let's just get into it. Like this yeah. this cartoon was was very interesting to me cuz one going into it, I had no idea what I was getting into. I I figured this was going <laughs> to be some 80s knockoff of kind of cheap shit sugar-coated Saturday morning cereal cartoons that we've been watching. Yeah. Um and then it opens up with upside down crucified people. And yeah. I was like Yeah. I was like, okay, all right, this is for real. Um the opening intro is extraordinarily dark. The opening intro was banging. Like I was yeah. I was all on up to the point where we started getting into the like nineteen sixties cut screens and slide ins. But I still thought the music was really good, the pacing was really good, and it was it was banging. Honestly, I I still like those slide ends. I thought that the 1960s cut screens and slide ends were pretty good because it. Well, I guess I was kind of conditioned to that because one of my favorite modern day cartoons is Venture Brothers, and this was very much Venture Brothers. Well, Venture Brothers was parodying exactly this, exactly this style. One of the things that I noticed was on the main title card when the title card lands, boom, the um, the return to. The Planet of the Apes, the Return to part of the title card, looked like it was like eight bit. Like it was is. actually trying to look like a video game. Yeah, there. I I want to watch that cartoon. <laughs> Very yeah, primal but, images. Yeah, and Matt, I love the nineteen sixties like slide ins and everything else. Like almost the shit that that uh, Austin Powers, all the shit yeah. that he parodied in it was like right there, but it was being yeah. serious, and it was really cool to see. Like, use of big, bold colors and, like, striking images and everything with, like, the black ink and whatever. I, that, I was sucked in immediately. That was the fashion at the time, yeah. 
Like, uh, if you guys have ever seen the movie Flowers for Algernon, that has serious split-screen action. Mm -hmm. I like how our common lament on this show is, we like the intro, we want to watch that cartoon. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want the cartoon that was given to us after the intro. We want to see the cartoon the intro was made from. Well, they, they spend so much more money on the intro. Yeah, and I guess it's so. it's true. And they, and they cheap out on the rest of the cartoon. Yeah, yeah. It's but, like the intro is like their pitch. That's the pitch meeting. It, it, so it I was probably is completely sold on this cartoon till the second act of the cartoon. Okay, oh, yeah. let's get, let's get into yeah. the first act. <laughs> right. So essentially, the first act, which we which we kind of talked about. So the very first scene is it shows a bunch of apes riding around in like 1960s era military vehicles. Um, mm-hmm jeeps and whatnot and this actually goes into the the crappy animation these are very very clearly still jeeps that they've taken some light color shading on the tires and they make it wiggle and then as they they move this one slide across the other the other slide all you see to essentially create movement is this this highlight wiggling on Uh these tires but uh, but that sets up why this is different than the movies you know, it, it it shows modern technology. They got vehicles. They've got guns. They've got weapons. Um, we get terror on Ice Mountain, and then boom, right into the laboratory scene where we've got uh, is it Cassius, right? Cornelius. 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 And his. I'm, I'm guessing she's his mate. Zira. Zira. Yeah. Zira? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and so they're they're researching a bunch of shit, and uh, and then he essentially t- like right out of the blue goes, "Hey, in the agricultural dig." I found an old book, and it's a welcome to the zoo book. And essentially, it be, the, they talk back and forth about why this is dangerous because this can then show that the humanoids, which are now at this at this time in 3979, I think is the year that this takes place, uh, humanoids are now the, the primitive species and the apes are the, are the dominant you know, intelligent species on Earth. This shows that the world was at one time controlled by the humanoids, and they do not want this to fall into the hands of the military because the military will then use it as an excuse to genocide the remaining humanoids, which I don't know if they mentioned in the show, but a little bit of research uh, came up with the fact that humanoids are kept for scientific experiment at this point um, mm-hmm. in the show. Yeah. yeah, and the terminology is a bit different from the original movie. Uh, I don't I don't think humans are ever called humanoids during that. They're either called man or animals. Hmm. Oh, okay. But but not manimals. No, manimal, manimal. All right. So this this takes place over about five minutes of them going back and forth about this a yep. day at the zoo book, and they're um, very concerned about General Urkel. <laughs> <laughs> Did I do that? <laughs> it really, you know, I didn't pick up on that until you just mentioned it. I was like, oh, this guy's kind of a dick. But this gets into where I, th- I thought this cartoon was very interesting, where I was totally invested into the second half of it, because we've been seeing stuff like last week we had Heathcliff being like, I'm going to murder you and rape your girlfriend. And you're just like, what the <laughs> fuck are we watching? <laughs> and then here we actually have some, what I thought was a little bit deeper developed plot. Hey, we're in yep. the future. We've been researching a bunch of shit. I've been out done the agricultural dig. I found evidence that the primitive race on the, the earth that we're on at one point in time was the intelligent race. And I was like, oh, boy. this." And is- they do establish that timeline, too, that you were saying. Mm-hmm. They said this was from 2,000 years ago. 
This yeah, is a two thousand yeah. year old. Uh, um, yeah, that's why I I, I think it's thirty nine seventy nine is yeah. is where they're at. So it, it's saying that essentially the astronauts took off four or five years in the future from when the the, the cartoon was produced, went back in time or went forward in time two thousand years, and then here they are. Um, so, yeah, and, I mean, I I do think that like this show sets up some premises in the first five minutes and then immediately drops them. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I've said it twice. I think I was on board till the second act because yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. Like then, so I'll, I'll I'll kind of finish up the whole lab scene. So then General Oracle comes in and he's like, "Hey, have you been finding stuff?" And they're like, "No, we ain't found shit." And he's like, "I don't believe you. I'm gonna search your office." And they're like, "Well, you got to put it up to Congress." And Congress is gonna say no because we have rights. And General Oracle's like, "Fuck your rights. I'm gonna storm your lab." And they're like, "Fine, deal with it." So he leaves, and then. Um, Cassius is like, all right, well, we need to wrap up a day at the zoo. Cornelius. Cornelius. <laughs> Thank you. Cornelius is like, we need to wrap up a day at the zoo with this old burger wrapper. No, no, uh, no. It's, it's even better than that. He's like, we need to hide this. I have this old piece of paper I found from the same archaeological dig. Yeah. Throw it away because it's garbage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then she opens it up, and it turns out to be uh, plans for quite possibly the most advanced hot air balloon I've ever seen. Uh, well, here, it's yeah. not just a wicker basket underneath, like a propane tank, putting hot air in a balloon. This thing has tons of shit contained in the, as we find out, gondola, because right. scientists can be poets, too. <laughs> um, I think this points to, like, the fundamental problem. Cornelius is a bad scientist. He is. He's a very On bad a scientist. lot of levels. Yeah. She's a much better scientist. He's like, I just found this earth-shaking discovery, um, but now I'm distracted by this shiny piece of paper, and I want to make a balloon. <laughs> and his well, wife no, is no, like, it's, e- it's even right. worse than that. It's like, I went to the archaeological site where we're supposed to be preserving every tiny piece of information, mm-hmm. and I found this old piece of paper, just throw it away, because I got distracted by the shiny book. Wait, this piece of paper has writing on it. Great, give that back to me. Oh, yes, now we have to focus on this piece of paper because I've always wanted to build a hot air balloon but never knew how to. And now I have the schematics to do that. And then he sits yes. down at his desk and he's like, it's not going to work because there's no steering mechanism. That right. piece rotted Which, off. We, I didn't look at the plans before we got all this stuff. And then she says, maybe we just didn't invent our own steering mechanism. And he just says, I've already tried that. Everything I come up with is way too heavy for the balloon. I can't think of it, so obviously it does not exist. The thing that I find hard to believe that they haven't mastered balloon technology. In yeah. the fucking background, you can see uh, a microscope, uh, a, <laughs> yeah, a video size. camera, Some... um, multiple different scientific equipment, all that rely on the principles. Like, I think I see a Bunsen yeah. burner in there. You see a Bunsen burner. You see, yeah. you almost see like a mass spectrometer at some point in time. And you, you, in the establishing shot, we saw vehicles driving yeah. past with, um, like, with apes wielding giant weapons, like machine guns, bazookas, stuff like that. All they have these, an internal combustion engine for Christ's Yeah, which came way after the hot air balloon. Yes. So this actually leads me to a question that we kind of talked about uh, a little bit earlier, and David had mentioned it. In the movies... I know that they again were agrarian or World War One level technology. Was flight always something that the apes were always chasing? 
Like, because they, in, in the uh, show. It was like a taboo, I think. All right, yeah, because in the cartoon and in the little bit of research I did on it with respect to essentially the book. They they did mention it in the original movie, but it was along the lines of the the astronauts saying, we're astronauts, we, we flew in a craft to get here, and they were like, Nobody could fly. Apes can't fly. Men definitely can't fly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Zero even said, uh, even if you could fly, wh- why? Well, yeah. where, where would that get you? What's the point? Uh, it's against the laws of nature. Yeah, no, no, not to even swing that. From the trees. Not, yeah, not, not even that. that. <laughs> it really was just like, why would you bother doing that when you could just yep. walk or you could just drive <laughs> somewhere? Yeah. Yeah, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, they start making this hot air balloon. After, well, they they hit that that roadblock. The I can't figure out the steering mechanism. So then Zara's like, instead of Zara saying, "Well, let me sit down and think about it for a minute. Let me put my scientific knowledge to to work," because just because you haven't thought of it, Cornelius, doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Maybe I can come up with a solution. Instead, Zara says, "Why don't we talk to our astronaut friends?" Right. Yeah, and I was like. What the fuck? I mean, you had a- human astronauts this whole time? Yeah. Weren't you just all blown away by a book that proved that humans could write? Like, you fucking hung out with them. <laughs> this is where the episode started to collapse. Uh, so they go and they talk to the human astronauts. Bill and Jeff. Um, Bill, Bill and yeah. Jeff. And that, like a couple other things in this episode, come completely the fuck out of the blue. Like, there is absolutely no, like mention of humans or later right. like how certain other things transpire just wham here we are with the human astronauts and, in the right. middle of nowhere like in an yeah. open field in the middle of nowhere like they're not hiding out in a click cave or anything they're in like a desert yeah, yeah i mean that sort of makes sense they're, they're like hiding outside the culture and they went out to see them in the wilderness because they can't uh they're hiding from the rest of the apes but you think they'd like go to some sort of encampment that the humans have set up, or maybe just like, like Derek was saying, a cave, something like that, yeah. something that's like not out in the open completely. That's true. Uh, maybe the humans don't trust these two ape motherfuckers. It could be, could and be. they're like, meet us in the desert. All right. I mean, they trust them enough to help them to build this balloon. Yeah. I mean, what else they got to do? You know. Uh, this brings up what Matt brought up earlier, where this scene is full of essentially blackened silhouettes with voice going in the background. Like, yep. they're very clearly having a conversation. The camera is panning in and out of their initial meeting, then their second meeting where they build this hot air balloon, which looks nothing like the diagrams. It just <laughs> looks like a balloon with the world's smallest gondola, not this hyper-advanced gondola with all kinds of jet fuel bottles and computer systems or whatever that was in the designs. But uh, I had not picked up on that. I've got it uh, essentially playing in the background without volume on. And I, when you had mentioned that, it jumped right out at me. I was like, holy crap, they really do use this three or four times while continuing to push the story with that kind of almost almost like movie-style shot. Yes. As opposed to a car- cartoon-style uh, like close-up. They yeah. go. They don't do any medium shots. Most everything is either an e- extreme close extreme up, close up. Yeah. or uh, a very long range away shot. So they do mostly background, particularly yeah. in the second part of the episode. So, so the question I had for you, Derek, as a pilot and as an engineer, do you think that it would be reasonable 
that the astronauts from 1975 would have the knowledge of how to build a steering mechanism for a hot air balloon. Yeah, I'm not aware of hot air balloons having steering mechanisms, like ever. Neither no. was I, as, but as you, I, I thought that was the twist. Later in the episode, uh, I don't really know if they're attempting to steer or twerk, but uh, <laughs> they're doing something in that basket that has nothing oh, yeah. to do with like a steering wheel when or they're a like tiller. Laying on top of each other, jerking on that rope. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. working the pole. <laughs> I think I think if you were to actually apply real life to this, like if you said, hey, astronaut, can you build some sort of mechanical device to steer a hot air balloon, and you had some old plans, I think an astronaut would be able to do that. You think so? Like an actual, I, I think an actual right. no-shit NASA astronaut would be able to do that. They they pick the best of the best to, to live. I mean... Look at Apollo 13, right? Those guys were building, like, oxygen rescrubbers out of friggin' maxi pads and, like, spaceship yeah. helmets. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And that's the reason why I figured I'd ask, because I thought that it actually might yeah. have a hint of realism to it. So The astronauts were only following the instructions of the engineers on the ground. <laughs> Technically. <laughs> that's right, Mike. <laughs> True. Really twist that knife. Yep. <laughs> I mean, aside from the fact that they're the guys up there building it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think... Anyone knows they how were to, trying to stay alive? How to apply duct tape to a bag? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, Mike. Folks, Actually, they yeah. they didn't have duct tape. Hey, in, you know what? Uh, the the so they had horses, so they could make glue. So that's the scene that we didn't get was them butchering a bunch of horses to yes. boil down their hooves to get the glue to make the duct tape to make the hot air balloon. There you yes. go. <laughs> to glue uh, the I, silk panels together. When I was in college, one of my classmates made a hot air balloon. Nice. Uh, and uh, and we went up in it. Uh, you actually went up in it? Yeah, I mean, a couple of friends and I went up in it. Uh, it... Um, it was a smaller balloon, so it mostly just had a, a single seat. Um, so we would just hang on a rope below it, and she would, like, drag us up and then come back down. It was very scary. <laughs> <laughs> and this was at Rhode Island School of Art Design. So, RISD, yep. So yes. she was an artist and made a hot air balloon? Yep, sure. So okay, then, so yeah, these, was... these, these apes are dumb. What, what was the... Um... <laughs> aeronautics program like at RISD? Uh, that was it. Okay. Um, except everybody nice. who was flying every night, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. What do you mean? So I that? immediately looked up RISD hot air balloon because that's one of the most RISD statements I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, growing up in that state, like, oh yeah, so what are the RISD kids up to? They made a hot air balloon this weekend. Nice. Cool. She was, uh, cool. this, she was. She was. She was an interesting person. That one, that girl. No, I'm. I'm sure it was actually an awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying for our listeners, all nine of them. Uh, Rhode Island School Design has some very, very talented and amazing artists, and they do some cool stuff every once in a while. Like yeah, do you, like cocaine. Did you <laughs> just? Blow. Did you just say that four more people watch the show than make the show? Because I don't <laughs> think that's true. I'm pretty sure that for the five of us. <laughs> Well, hey, we are the it, it, we are the entire download queue. It's yeah. somewhere oh. in between. No, no, no. We don't all listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> that's, no, that's true. Yeah. It's in I'm, between I'm rec- four I'm and recruiting, nine. I'm recruiting legions of fans here. As soon as Close. we produce something that someone's like, okay, that episode didn't suck, send them to that one. What are you talking about? We did the uh, did we not yeah, release you... the the Silverhawks one yet? Yeah. Did no, you hear yet. that, Mike? 
I still like the uh, the Captain first episode. Captain N is really good. I have yet to listen to it, and I was not there for that that recording. <laughs> Captain N was drill really or good. whatever. Okay, I let's think, let's I quit jerking our own horns. It turned better, out so. well for what we recorded. Yeah, <laughs> I like Muppet Babies the most so far. So I'm gonna so. go reload my beer. I'll be right back because. Yep. So, did anybody else get, like, really misogynistic vibes off of Cornelius? Like, aside from that first exchange, it seems like he keeps dismissing uh, Zara's feelings or concerns or even observations. Yeah, Zara seems to be much more competent than him. And he just, like, he's like, nah, fuck it, we're making a balloon now. So do you think that his character was written like that because that was kind of the uh, societal standard of the day? That she was kind Probably. of the non-pushy female character? Probably. Mm-hmm. She was, quote-unquote, supportive? That, of course not. That wasn't about in the 1970s. These <laughs> are apes. It's different. <laughs> They're misogynistic fucking apes. Yeah. These are apes. It's a different culture. That is exactly like our culture. Yeah. With monkey faces. Because right now we even get that that line from um, Jeff uh, when he says it's called a gondola. Mm-hmm. And then Zara was like, yeah. oh, that's amazing. Did a poet write that? And that's when Jeff was like, well, sometimes on Earth, or sometimes back in the day, our poets and scientists were one and the same. Mm-hmm. And then... Cornelius is like, fuck the poet. I want to make yeah. sure the guy that made this was just a fucking scientist, because I'm not putting yeah. my life in no poet's hands. But he's a shitty scientist. He is. So that's that's just really ironic. Well, he's he's like uh, an armchair scientist. Like, he knows how it should be done. He doesn't do that, but he's like, I know, I know how this should be done. He's a theoretical scientist uh, rather yeah. than an applied scientist. There you go. He just digs up comic books at the archaeological dig. Yeah. He studies bugs under the microscope and then fries them in the sun. Cut to Bill and Jeff. That's the other thing that I kind of wanted to mention here. Um, 1975, astronauts. Mm-hmm. I don't think we had any African-American astronauts, did we? We didn't have any black astronauts. I think we did. So this is the first point in time when I started. Not in 1975. From what I understand of what's going on here, this is the first point in time when I'm starting to realize that these are not U.S. astronauts. <laughs> it is actually much more likely that these are cosmonauts. Whoa. Ooh. And there's an even better explanation later on, because from what I understand, the apes, I'm sorry, the astronauts traveled forward in time and crash-landed their spacecraft based off of other ancillary properties and they're all sure. speaking the same language that the apes are speaking and I'm pretty sure it's either going to be Russian or Mandarin whoa whoa are these supposed to be the astronauts from, from the first movie I don't think so I well I don't know I have no idea I'm not sure yeah. you mean the compelling characters of Bill and Jeff Ted whom have had a lot of um, character development and deep, meaningful connections with the world. Well, this is be like a retelling 
where they don't uh, die off in the first uh, half hour of the, of the film. <laughs> so our first black astronaut was Guyon Stewart Bluford Jr., who cool. is a U.S. Air Force officer, fighter pilot, and a colonel in the Air Force. And he rode into space on four space shuttle flights between 1983 and 1992. And in 1983, as a member of the crew Challenger on the mission STS-8, he became the first African-American in space, as well as the second person of African ancestry in space after Cuban cosmonaut Arnaldo Tamayo Menendez. Nice. And when did the Cuban cosmonaut go up? He blasted off into space. Uh, crew of Soyuz 38. Looks like late 70s. See, closer. See? Yeah, See? Cosmonauts. Mm-hmm. He's got he's Cuban. Yes. Yeah. And we know none of those we know none of those cosmonauts made it back. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so he, he blasted off uh the Cuban guy, Arnaldo, he blasted off in nineteen eighty. Oh uh, so well, still closer. But our our guy was a fighter pilot. So he's cooler than the Cuban. Fair mm. enough. Jesus. He flew F fours. The um, uh, so the name uh-huh. of the astronauts in the Those original are cool. in the movie Planet of the Apes was George Taylor, played by Charlton Heston, and Alan Veerdom, played by a random guy I don't know. Alan Veerdom. That's that is quite the difference in names. Yeah. Your name is George Taylor. Okay, um, one, what's uh, mine? Alan Veerdom. Huh? <laughs> He's like, F- I'm gonna die, aren't I? Your I'm not the main character of this, am I? <laughs> random red shirt. Yeah. There is also an, a like character, um, a female character uh, that was part of the crew, uh, just named Astronaut Stewart. There we go. And then uh, Dr. Maximus, which I guess is... That's an ape. Was it an ape? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He was a right um, uh, Cut to they've completed the uh, the balloon. Yes. And they are discussing uh, essentially going up, and Jeff is saying, just let him go. Zaira, right? Uh, Zira. Zira. Zira yeah. is, that's where she says, you couldn't essentially make me go in that. Um, he asks for the book, and then they release, and off they go. Well, up into the this, this was when we got like a really weird point here. This is when they yeah. were like, okay, the whole point of us building this balloon and taking flight is to go hide this book. And we're going to hide this book in the tallest mountain that we know of, which is right around the corner. <laughs> which we can totally see from our launch spot. I think there was a different point, a little subtext that didn't get, you know, as explored in the episode. But uh, Jeff and Zira are standing there, and he says, relax, Zira. Everything's going to be O-A-O-K. Because Ooh, they're going to fuck. The hots? Yeah. <laughs> the hots for Zira? I think Zira and Jeff are going to bone Go down. bone. Nice. Yeah. Oh, Zira's repressed is getting down on him. Yeah, nice. I think mm-hmm. I think that's what's going to happen, especially because later they start they start going up too high, and Zira's uh, response is so milk toast. She's like, "Oh no, he's going to die. They're going away. I'd be upset if I wasn't get that getting that human dong." Hmm. Hmm. So, anyways, they they fly up, and then we get we get an. Awesome, awesome use of 1970s animation where they very clearly have an animated cell. They have zoomed into a small part of it, yeah. and then they just rock it back and forth <laughs> multiple <laughs> times to, to simulate yep. hot air balloon pendulum flight, which I'm pretty sure 
is not how it works. They did yeah. do a little bit of parallax where the mountains in the foreground are moving at a different speed than the background or, or moving at a different in a different way than the background. Uh, it did not totally work. did not look like they were rocking and looking down from a hot air balloon. Yeah, so uh, back to Bill and Jeff. So they picked the one guy who's wearing the most inappropriate clothes for high-altitude flight to go <laughs> into the basket. Yes. One dude is wearing a long-sleeve turtleneck. The other guy is wearing a ultra-medium T-shirt and, yeah. like, nut-hugger pants. And, and this is when I have the question written down for you, um, for you, Derek. Why the fuck did this human wearing a T-shirt and parlor pants just go up in the balloon He's an astronaut. Did he forget everything he knew about atmospheric physics when he uh, crash landed on this planet? Or or weather patterns? Like none of them were like, "Hey, you know, like weather's not so great today. Maybe yeah. we need to delay." It's, it's, a, they, it's a pretty windy day today. Yeah, yeah. they go up flying, and immediately there's like black storm clouds. Yeah, and and the fact that they're flying into mountains with snow, yeah. medium t-shirts and parlor pants, man. Well, loafers. I mean, he is. It's probably future pants and a future T-shirt. They, uh, they're probably like thermal tech. But I mean, he does get cold at one point. And yeah, it succumbs yeah. to the cold. Like I feel like his partner in the turtleneck might have had at least a couple more minutes. It's mm-hmm. true. It's true. But his his character wears those clothes, so they couldn't change his clothes. That would confuse the audience. They wouldn't mm-hmm. know what the character. No, no, was that, anymore. that would cost more money to animate. Oh, right. that, yeah. It couldn't, it couldn't right. be like, I was say, Jeff, give me your shirt. He slowly pulls the shirt off as like Zero's biting her lip watching him. Yeah, yeah, tosses exactly. the shirt up. He's got like him. a 12-pack like, of abs. Yeah. Take it with you. I won't need it here <laughs> with your wife in the desert. Uh, it's so yeah. steamy here. So this this started off a series of like weird reaction scenes. This was the scenes we were talking about before. And I went ahead and I timed these out, too. Yeah. So we go from 10:12 to 10:55 without Jeez. without any anybody saying anything and then it cuts to Zara <laughs> saying something about oh my god they're drifting off. Mm-hmm. 11:21 to 12:06 six, to 12:06 dead silence again. And then the next line is something along the lines of Bill asking Cornelius are we still on course? Is this a mountain you're talking about? And Cornelius going, fuck no, of course it's not. I have no <laughs> idea where we are. I felt like that was the most realistic bit of dialogue in this episode. Yeah. And then we go from 12, 12.14 to 13.54. We go a minute and 40 seconds with nothing said. Yep. But there it, are animated sequences with the, the gentleman in the gondola in the first one, in like the nine to ten minute range, you get this like terrified look on their face, and then in the second one, you get uh, Cornelius with a terrified look on his face with the swirls, which they use that same still multiple times mm-hmm. in this yeah. in this whole balloon thing. And then right as you get into about the eleven to twelve minute range is where they start the twerk, and I'm not really sure mm-hmm. what they're doing, but they're holding on. I guess this is that future steering mechanism that they decided to design. Yeah, it, it's just the astronaut. 
and it zooms out enough that you can see there's no one else in the basket. <laughs> they <laughs> they had thought, to do it for warmth, guys. I th- I thought that Cornelius was underneath them. I thought Cornelius was like laying no, no, around. No, Cornelius is, is clearly terrified, holding onto a rope, and has actually gone outside the basket to get away from this twerking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cornelius at 10.51 twerks, too. Okay. Nice. He's... But... You're right. The astronaut is the first one who starts yeah. to twerk. But typically, uh, from what I understand, my limited knowledge of um, watching aeronauts, uh, there is a mechanism at the top of the balloon that's supposed to be like a release valve, and that's attached to a rope, and you pull the rope to release the valve to lower the balloon. Yeah, you can go up and down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's your control. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like... Um, that's what they were trying to do like they were trying to control their descent in some way by pulling on the rope but they were just yanking on it and pulling it like they were trying to like climb it or something also you mentioned derek the the snow squirrels so we get an overlay of snow blowing and this was actually pretty well animated it's about 10 cells of snow that cascades over the screen and they really got their money's worth out of those 10 cells because they yeah. reuse that in yeah. every scene from basically this point, point forward. to the end of the episode. Yeah. yeah. And and then they will eat, they will occasionally cut to like an empty sky with just the swirls and like nothing in the background, nothing yeah. in the foreground. Yeah. Yeah. This is when we start like eating time. Yeah. 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 No, no. And this, this is, is the reason why I was saying that this is essentially 5 minutes worth of the cartoon up until this like 14 to 15 minute mark. So I will say the uh the snow swirls actually reminded me of watching like Christmas specials that were produced in the sixties and seventies mm, as a child. Yeah, yeah. like that. Th- again, this is where the episode started to lose me because there was that about four minute period of like they're just up in the sky, and I'm like, why the fuck is this dude wearing a short sleeve shirt at an altitude of fourteen thousand feet while it's snowing? But <laughs> hey, whatever, we don't need it's the future. Um, but <laughs> I was a like, future Ooh, t-shirt. Look. Yeah, like six-year-old Derek is like, oh, look, we're going to watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or, you know, Frosty the Snowman or it's Christmas, you know. So I did I did kind of appreciate that. Uh, but I, I also picked up on it, Matt, where it was just the same cells that they were using over and over again. And it yep. could be, you know, I don't know what the animation budget in the United States was in the mid-'70s. I guarantee. I guess I can't guarantee. <laughs> Judging by this, it was low. <laughs> I'm yeah. totally, I'm totally watching the scene now where we have Bill in the basket the twerking. Like, yeah, where he's like, he's like going down on his knees and popping back up. Because I thought you guys were talking about where they were pulling on the rope. Yeah, he's no, twerking, he's, and clearly there's twerking. nobody else in that fucking basket. No, it's just he's him. Just, he's putting on a fucking show. <laughs> hey, Cornelius. Uh, this really should have been our Christmas special instead of our yeah. Easter special. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It's coming out on Easter. Yeah. Anyway, well, this, well, this does have a similar twerking in the gondola. It has a similar uh, theme to it, though. I mean, we do have Tigor raising from the dead to save all of mankind. So, Oof. spoilers. No. You, don't uh, think, you don't think Tigor's Jesus? No, but that one Tygor? absolutely came out of left field. Like the left we're, fielder we're gunned honest, down the honestly, at home. Yeah, we're just, honestly we're everything. Ahead everything from this point forward is coming out of left field. So, um, yeah, it takes a long time, but eventually the uh, the balloon crashes into, into nothing. nothing. Yes, nothing. We so assume I, it's the side of a mountain, but it is not clear. 
So I assumed, watching this episode, that this was one of the few things that they got right science-wise, that it got so fucking cold that it essentially decreased the temperature of the air inside the balloon, and the balloon collapsed. Oh. I think you're wrong. I, I probably... I, I think that's a good take. I like that take, but I'm pretty sure they didn't think about it. All right, well, that's it. I'm fucking done. Good night, folks. <laughs> uh, I think you're wrong. I think they just forgot to draw the mountain. You're yeah. probably right. So anyways, or, or they, they were like, how do we draw this mountain? Because it's going to be at like a slope. Wouldn't the basket hit first? But we have to have the balloon no. hit first. Hold on, hold on. Let me do the voice. You know, Benny, Benny, we got to have the balloon collapse. But if it's on a mountain, the basket will collapse. No, 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 no. Forget the mountain. Just have it collapse. Do it a close-up. Yeah. <laughs> do, it, do it in a close-up. Do a close-up. Set an establishing shot. Glenn, that's you all know you what? ever say. Do a close-up. I better see that ape spinning in the air at some point in time. He better be going ass over tea kettle to hit the ground. <laughs> the balloon <laughs> hits a colossal <laughs> off-screen cornice, collapses, and our two heroes begin to tumble vertically out of the sky onto the ground, sustaining no injuries. And at this point, uh, they are observed by a ski patrol. Yes. An ape ski patrol. That was not mentioned at all. No. No, because the mountains are supposed to be away from the apes, but no, there's ape ski patrols. Surprise, viewers. Well, he also says this mountain is not on any of our maps, yet the military seems to be patrolling it. Yeah. And we later find <laughs> out that the military has a base on it. Yes. So not only is it not on the maps, the military's like, yeah, we're cool. We got heaters, hot cocoa, radios, scotch. Well, it's like Area 51. Skis. It's not on the map because it's not supposed to be on the map. Do you really think that Area 51 has hot tubs, scotch, and skis? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I'll bet oh, yeah. it does, except you for the You probably skis. have to spend months of time there, so it better. Um, I think this points to, to Mike's point, I think this points to a really disturbing truth of how tightly the military-industrial complex is controlling ape society. Mm -hmm. Like, it controls the maps. It controls the education. It controls the council. It can, it can search scientists' labs willy-nilly even under the cushions well not under the cushions because they because they couldn't find it under the cushion in the research yeah. that i did on this episode which comprised of me looking at wikipedia um cornelius and his zara, zara right zara, zara. Yeah. uh they end up convincing the scientific leader of the apes to overthrow General Urkel at the end of this miniseries. Not General so that, Urkel. Oh, nice. Yeah, that is that is actually no shit, Matt. An underlying plot thread throughout all these episodes is that the military has become over, the hippies versus the military society. The military has become overbearing, and by the end of this, the scientists and you know the free thinkers or whatever end up creating their utopia. That's right. That's right, Derek. Fucking suck it. That's what you get. <laughs> For what? Your mili your militarization and, uh, and and control over society is over. Yeah. Yeah. Us eggheads, yeah. We're, we're biting back. Yeah. We yeah. Nerds. Ooh. Fucking yeah. nerds. So I, I, wa I wanted to point this out before we got too far into this. This entire scene of them crashing the balloon and, like, getting stranded on this mountain where their 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 life is in peril. The most emotion we get out of their voice acting yeah. is 
to the level of somebody like maybe waking up after a, a long nap. <laughs> like it is, it is all of the voice acting in this is so fucking sedate, and it, it is so banal that it's just it conveys nothing. So like they're relying almost entirely on the the merits of the animation to convey everything that's happening, and the animation blows. The lieutenant is the worst. At least he's they're not like shouting, ultra though. monotone. We should investigate, and then it goes into them skiing downhill. Where it's just stills, yeah, <laughs> yeah. stills sliding across, <laughs> where, across they moved, where they moved, where they moved the cell. foreground, yeah. And yeah. there's there's only two different like apes. One guy has his eye open, and then the other three guys have their eyes, their eyes closed. closed. And then yeah. just... Um, I just appreciated so, that they weren't shouting the entire time. Bill they, and they... Cornelius are, are stuck. They're, they're abandoned out in the in the snow. And they start trooping across the mountain in the hopes of finding shelter. And they see a giant frozen statue, an a enormous ape carved from ice. Yes. And they just look up at it and they're like, huh, that's some shit. Let's keep walking. Yeah. And Cornelius collapses in the snow because he can't take another step. It's funny because Bill mentions that the, they, it might be inhabited up here, but Cornelius is like, no. The, the tribes are very primal and territorial. Right. So, again, Cornelius, the exemplary scientist who knows everything about his own society, fails yet again. Cornelius is kind of a dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they, he, he collapses. He sucks. He collapses in the snow. Despite Sorry. wearing many more layers of clothing. Than the plus human. having fur. And plus having fur. <laughs> Did you guys notice the amazing animation of Bill as he walks through the snow? Yes. <laughs> yes. Him yeah. lifting his legs up with <laughs> yeah. his arms he looks, up. He yeah. looks like an Olympic power walker yeah. from back <laughs> when that bullshit was in the Olympics in the 90s. Yeah. Yep. Oh God, like, just funny. imagine that. And that's like your foot can only be moving if both feet are on the ground or whatever the hell the rules were. Yeah, Cornelius is wearing like the original outfit from the movie where they're trying to cover up as much of the body as possible so they don't have to put on, like, furry... Arms uh, a, a, Yeah, furry legs, ape yeah. Uh, appliances. Yeah, he's yeah. wearing a tunic with, with pants. And gloves. Yeah, a long yeah, tunic with pants and gloves. And he collapses first. Uh, and yeah. uh, Bill picks him up, and this is probably some of the most intense animation of the entire show. They show <laughs> and, a full walk cycle, and mm-hmm. eight, Bill takes... Eight complete steps before he collapses in the snow with Cornelius on his back. And the important part is um, we do see from that extra tight-fitting shirt that Bill is wearing um, that he's got like maybe 2% body fat also. So he's really got no insulation whatsoever. Bill's fit. Yeah. Bill's like the right stuff kind of thin. Yeah. There's Bill should have been dead a long time ago in the mountains wearing that outfit. The uh, the ski patrol sees them again and begins skiing downhill in their direction. And then isn't this when they? I believe this is when they radio back to base. Oh no, that was after they get rescued by the Dalai Lama. Yes, yeah. or the, the the ape Dalai Lama. So yes, yeah, they're they rescued by um, the, the worthy with one. amazing mustache. Yeah. Yes, he has what I call a full man chew, 
which is a, a full manchu. Nice. A full manchu. It's a fu manchu that starts right where your eye crusties are formed. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> well, these are apes, so they they have That's a different an, an, anatomy. Anatomy. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> anatomy. No, I like it. That's it. Anatomy. We'll anatomy. They have um, anatomy. I think I knew them in high school. Anna and Tommy. They dated for a while. No, no, no. It's cosmonaut <laughs> <Yep>. anatomy. <laughs> so yeah, no. They get they get picked up by. Yeah. By well, this. you you mentioned cosmonaut, Mike. This was when I said, okay, these fuckers are cosmonauts because obviously this is either the Himalayas or it's like Tibetan monks, the Urals, like that. Yeah, obviously this is part of the Urals. And if it was a Dalai Lama, but an ape, wouldn't he be a Dalai gorilla, Dalai mm. chimpanzee, mm. Dalai lemur? No. What are the uh, What are the snow like, monkeys in in northern macaques. Japan? Like macaque. in Hokkaido? Yeah, macaques. Are there macaques? Macaque. Yeah, macaques. That's right. So he's a Dalai macaque. So yeah. Anyway, Pretty they much. they they're going to be speaking either Russian or Mandarin or like whatever the local dialect of Mandarin would be in this yeah. region. It's very clear that uh, the worthy one is an Asian ape. Yes. I mean, the way that yeah. they drew him, he looks like yeah, like all the bad guys in Kill Bill. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> he's very much uh, like old school Shangri-La style Orientalism. Yes. Very romanticized. I'm trying to, to put yeah. uh, other movie characters who've had that, that very, very long, thin, drooped down mustache I, can think um, of, I, I believe one of the guys in Kill Bill had it right with the white hair, the white bushy eyebrows. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was he was the and, kendo uh, or the aikido uh, master that was teaching yeah. the the bride. Yeah, but also um, the main bad guy in um, Big Trouble in Little China. He yeah, that. that's the other one that I was I could not put a, essentially a movie to. I was like, yeah, this, yep. The Mogwai salesman. Mogwai salesman. Yes, perfect. Um, Speaking of, I want to go on a side note here, real quick, with you, David. Oh, oh um, is this this three-hour story that, that you're going to tell? That <laughs> that movie from um, Community, where it's like where they're talking about it being the Brazilian uh, gremlins. Okay, I want to watch that movie so fucking bad. <laughs> I know it doesn't exist. I know it's not real, but I want to see that movie. That. Why don't we Ch-ch-chira, make it? Ch-ch-chira. Why don't we make that movie? Have you seen Critters? I've seen Critters, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why I want to see this movie. Because it's almost like a combination of Critters and Ghoulies. So. Did you watch anyway. the... Okay. Um. So, yeah. So, my theory is, these are Russian cosmonauts. They're all speaking Russian to each other. This is actually taking place in the southern part of Russia, northern part of China. Cornelius and Bill wake up in the throne room of the worthy one for some reason because uh, that's the only place they could bed down these two potentially dangerous foreigners uh, and sleeping bags yeah. and that that is when they learn about the religion of the worthy one and Cornelius yes. is kind of shitty about it oh go fucking figure yeah you expect <laughs> anything less of Cornelius no he's a dick so they worship uh, Kygor Tigor. Tigor? Is it Tigor? I thought it was Kygor. Was it Kygor? It's it's something with a t or k sound. Laurel. I'm I'm gonna come I'm gonna come clean at this point in time. I watched this at two times speed. Every time I watched it. So you probably It's so fucking slow, Derek. It is so (laughs) fucking slow. Come on, I devoted it forty eight minutes of my life to watching this. (laughs) I gave it twenty seconds. And also, the worthy one is 
completely unfazed by a talking human, this like supposedly yeah. very exotic creature. He's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, he's your friend, whatever. Yeah. Very accepting of everything right away, all at once. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't he mention, like, as long as creatures have love in their hearts or some bullshit like that? Like, isn't that what he says? I think he was, like, referring to the fact that when he saw Billy waking up, he observed that Bill had morning wood. And he was like, (laughs) I can see, Bill, you've got love in your heart. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, it's a bit south of my heart. Thank you very much. (laughs) I've been watching you sleep. (laughs) So, anyways, they wake up. And then what do they do? They proceed to ask the ape Dalai Lama for, like, 20 favors. Yes. Like, there's no, like, thank you for saving my life. They're just like, all right, can I get get a Mountain Dew Um, and a burger (laughs) with fries Uh, and HJ from the cute ape over there and uh, a ride in your gondola? Yeah, and to every one of these, the the worthy one's response is, speak it. (laughs) <laughs> speak it he just he's like yeah no problem i mean I, like well could, do you think you that build me a spaceship to go back do you think time? that maybe this was his yes. way of dealing with a human that spoke like every yeah. time he saw the human saying something he was like speak it speak it yes <laughs> amazing so it's like a small it's like an infant or a small yeah. child that's learning yeah. learning words Exactly. Maybe the worthy one use your words. Yeah, maybe the big, the worthy one was very big on uh, UCB, and he took a lot of improv classes, and he's just yes and. <laughs> oh, he could have. That's yeah. the equivalent of yes and. <laughs> <laughs> Speak it. <laughs> um. So, anyways, we go back to the ski patrol, and they are uh, failing spectacularly at finding their, our our heroes. Well, we get the scene with the ape radio operators in the um, wooden hut. In the lodge, yeah. Yeah, and that the, scene the is worthless. Yeah. It, it has nothing to do with anything. All it does is it puts another inept ape officer being like, where are they? And the guy's like, we haven't heard from them on radio. And like, okay, we'll wait. Well, may- maybe this maybe this goes to your point, Derek, where they're trying to play like the long game in storytelling. This is their, another way for them to show that the military is outspending what they should be doing, and they're actually just throwing away taxpayer money on frivolous mm-hmm. activities like building a lodge out in the middle of nowhere. It's a wasteful where, bureaucracy. True. Like yeah. all the military. Yeah, like all of it. <laughs> <laughs> Except for people who fly planes for the military, because we're motherfucking cool. I just I just saw this thing about the... Um, a YouTube video about this like $2 million new destroyer that was being designed. And it had like these special munitions that were going to be used that cost like $30,000 per round. Yeah, but, I think it was more than that. Well, it, it wound up, jump, once they finished building the, the destroyer, it actually jumped up to something like $120,000 or like yeah. $300,000 a round. Oh, and they realized a... to, have, to have a fully equipped ship, it would actually cost them something like Two point three billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Buy the railgun. Worth it. Yeah. So that's the uh, that's the. And it, it kind of looks it was, like a transformer what, a little bit. It's like sleek. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's got it's got the uh, kind of ironclad style bow, which yeah, then yeah. slices down into the leaves. So it's it's an extraordinarily advanced ship, and the guns that they were going to use on it were were similar to the army's. I think it was called the. Mm-hmm. Uh, self-propelled artillery, and so what the army for a while in the, in the '90s and the early 2000s was doing was looking at a gun 
that could put simultaneous rounds on target from different positions. So, like, you go to position one, boom, move to position two, boom, move to position three, boom. And then the, you know, the angle and declination of the gun taking into effects atmospherics, but then the rounds would also have, like, GPS little fins on them that if you shot three or four bullets or three or four, you know, rounds. artillery rounds, yeah. all of them would hit the, t- the target simultaneously until everybody realized, well, fuck, we can just do that with missiles for almost the same amount of money, and we don't have to build these special gun systems. And so what ended, what ended up happening is that the deck guns on that ship just went back to conventional rounds, um, which are still good. The five inch the five inch gun can shoot friggin' far, and it's actually very powerful at what it does. Uh, but something that just recently happened is the Army's newest self propelled artillery system. This came out this week, hit a target forty three miles away, dead center. Cool. So nice. Without without little fins on the bullets or whatever, like the gun is that smart that it took in the, the you know whatever you know Coriolis effect, rotation of the Earth, wind, atmospherics, whatever, and forty three miles away, it put an artillery around, fucking dead center on a target. That must have sucked for that guy. Uh, I think it was just probably an empty tank out in the middle of nowhere. Well, that's, yeah, if there was a guy no in there, fun. well, it sucked. Oh, for I was. Tanks. I thought just it like, was. I thought it was just going to be a bale of hay. I thought it was going to be a bale of hay with in a, this empty tank. Yeah. Boom, gone. A, ba- a bale of hay with like a little target on it, I thought is what it was. Like they shoot with with arrows, right? <laughs> it was a yeah. cutout anyway. of it was like a cutout of Putin that they stuck up in a field. But it's that was uh, from what I heard that was something like a uh like hundreds of billions of dollars worth of R&D that they've just sort of stopped. And they only have like four of those ships now, four of those destroyers. Two. Two? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Because they realized it's it was just, not going to be cost-effective. It yeah, it's it's a, it's more of a technology simulator than anything else. Um, they're, I mean, they're they're big, big, powerful ships that carry a lot of a lot of missiles and a lot of weaponry. But just like we're only going to build two or three of them, and then what will eventually happen is that the technology kind of researched on those will then get put into a, a cheaper variant mm. of like the the next version of our destroyer or cruiser. Um, yeah. So they'll be cool. Gotcha. Fun fact: the first commanding officer of the Admiral Zumwalt, the DDG one thousand, after its sea trials or whatever, was Captain James Kirk. No <laughs> shit. Cool. <laughs> nice. Did he go on a five year mission? Was it a five year mission? No, no, no. He's a rear admiral right. now. Nice guy. I met him at the yeah. Pentagon. I, I yeah. feel like when you have a name like that, they just they're like make this guy an admiral because yeah, we need to put him in a ship. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm sure he had a hard time getting out of captain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, promoted. I've I've met the guy once in the gym and talked to him for like five minutes because somebody I was with knew him, and he seems like a very personable, very nice guy. I don't know. I, I he could be the greatest skipper in the world. He could have been terrible, but from my short interaction with him, seemed like a good dude. And I just I just thought it was awesome. The most technologically advanced warship we have is commanded by Captain Kirk. Did it seem like he fucking he cool? Does it seem like he got a lot of um, uh, green alien babes? Yeah. Did it seem mm-hmm. like that? Uh, I think he was married. I didn't see if his wife was a green alien babe okay. or not. Okay. Did he no, shake hey, your hand, Admiral in- Kirk? If you're listening to our podcast, please uh, <laughs> drop a comment below. Yeah, can you can you call your in wife a green alien babe? Bring, bring. I was a great hello, skipper. Admiral Kirk. Is that is your is wife? That you? Is green, Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> you married a green alien babe? Neat. Uh, did so he I, like shake your hand and look you right in the eye, and, and was he like, 
I don't believe in a no-win scenario. Did he no. That? He didn't do that? <laughs> he didn't give me the Kobayashi Maru. He said, hey. Yeah. I reprogrammed nice the simulation. Was his, was his sparring buddy in like a big box with a red dot on it that kept beeping? No, it was not Awesome 5000 Lame. I think we skipped over something here relatively quickly. Yeah, we did. There's like torches that are lighting everything. Everything's stone. They're they're on a stone floor covered in like furs when they're sleeping. And then they're like, we need to get to the top of the mountain. And the Dalai Lama is like, oh yeah, we got a gondola. Let's just go. Yeah. I, yeah. My question too, where the fuck did they get the gondola? Yeah. Which makes me think that this is in the Alps and not in Tibet. You think it's a 2,000-year-old gondola? Yeah. <laughs> That's still functioning perfectly fine. I've mm-hmm. been on, like, a five-year-old gondola that keeps breaking. Dude, they try and cut the fucker down with an axe. When was the last time you you hit steel wire with an axe and it split? Every time I've hit steel wire with an axe. Which is precisely zero. Zero times. <laughs> um, yeah, I like, how much infrastructure do you need to build something like that gondola? Like, you yeah, need a whole, like, steel production yeah, uh, yeah. industry. Oh, yeah. You need you electricity. You probably need helicopters. Yeah. You need a means to get up. You need to get the equipment up to the top of the mountain in order to actually set it up. Yep. It, advanced theories. Probably advanced theories in aeronautics. I don't know. You probably need hot air balloon technology. Probably need hot air balloon technology. Yeah. They have jeeps. Are those two thousand year old jeeps? No, those are fresh. Those are ape jeeps. They've got to be ape jeeps. They've got to be fresh jeeps. Fresh from the the ape the ape cookery, where they cook up the jeeps real good for you. So they get on the gondola, and somehow the ape patrol has gotten to the top of the mountain where the gondola is attached, ahead of them. Yes, but all the time while skiing downhill. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then another point that I actually observed with all this is, weren't they at the feet of the of the statue, the ape statue earlier, and now they're going up the gondola, and the ape statue is very clearly on a peak higher than where the gondola is. Yes. Yes. Right. I have to assume that the worthy one and his sarcastic followers um, actually like took them down the mountain. They're like, oh. "Why are you guys up here so high? Let's." Let's take yeah. you back down to where that our base is. That would make a lot is. of sense, actually. That would make a lot more sense. <laughs> and that's when the worthy one went up with his people and grabbed grabbed him. was like, what are you fuckers doing up here? You're not even dressed for the occasion. Let's go back to our place. Come on. Downhill. Yeah. My question is, why didn't they see the gondola? Because it wasn't drawn in at that point. <laughs> that was behind the statue. <laughs> yeah, so it's on the, it's the, on the back of the ski slope. Yeah. Or they might have seen it and they're like, are we hallucinating? Is that a gondola? That can't be a gondola. Let's mm-hmm. let's keep walking. Two things named gondola in the same episode? If only we've gotten the boat and the complete trifecta. <laughs> <laughs> Did they have gondolas back then? I'm pretty sure that um, <laughs> apes could never replicate our gondola boat technology. Probably not. Ooh. All right, so they're riding up the gondola. The snowtroopers are skiing down, perpetually down to see them. And the snowtroopers approach the end of the gondola, and uh, they say, "Cut the cable." So they they try and they try and cut 
cut the rope, but the ape Dalai Lama is like, Tigor will save you, or Kaigor will save you. They try to cut the rope the first time, and they cut back to the gondola, and we just stay on the gondola for like 30 seconds. The yes. important part is he's trying to cut the rope at the mechanism when it's spinning. Right. At high speed. Yeah, so every whack is at a different point yeah. on this rope. And also, if this was real life and he swung that axe, it would have caught, gotten caught and gotten ripped out of his hand. So. Yes. All right, and here comes the part I've been wanting to talk about. Because out of fucking nowhere, <laughs> the ape ice statue's eyes light up, it explodes, a giant gorilla shows up, and then <laughs> yeets all the dudes <laughs> off the mountain. Yeah, super fast. Completely yep. out of nowhere. Uh, like, DSX no Machina style. up to this... It just it just happens. Yeah, yeah. Th- this is when the show jumped the shark. <laughs> oh, yes. okay. And, and I was completely <laughs> taken out of it at this point. That was your point. <laughs> oh, that that's your red line. Footy King Kong of yeah. Planets of the Apes is where it jumped the shark. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> I mean, like it came literally out of nowhere. He's like, Kygor will save you, and. Uh, then he just explodes out of this ice ape statue, sweeps all the guys off, and then the ape Dalai Lama's like, you will be protected. And then they ride the gondola back down. They say, hey, we need you to protect this book. They're like, we'll put it at the feet of Kygor. And then the episode ends. And that's it. He was like, I need you to protect this book. And it's like a piece of garbage. It's literally like a yeah. pamphlet <laughs> about somebody yeah. going to the zoo. And I'm sure like the chosen one was like, what? I don't want to hold on to this garbage. I'm going to put it at the feet of Kaigor. I'm going to let yeah. him, he'll watch yeah. after it. Yeah, I, I think it's that they traveled all this way basically to deliver giant ape toilet paper. <laughs> 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 but, like, this this was another thing that surprised me. Like, they're talking and they're like, hey, we need to repair the balloon. Okay, the balloon will be repaired. You guys can go home or whatever. And then the episode just ends. Like, there's no them getting on the balloon and going back and being reunited or whatever. You no. see him on the balloon in Kaigor's hand. Crashed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. no, the yeah. launch. Cause, yeah, because yeah, Kaigor picked yeah. up the balloon to launch it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It just floats up, and that's it. Because apparently this, like, ape god will not only protect you, but will also guard your stuff and do any other menial task you need him to do. Yeah. Hey, (laughs) I need you to make copies. This was the thing that (laughs) that was killing me, because they say to the Chosen One, we may like to return someday. And the Chosen One was like, yeah, sure, that'd be cool. In the meantime, it's like, (laughs) how much trouble did you have to go through for these two motherfuckers that showed up out of nowhere (laughs) Yeah, and and, and are just demanding things of you? And they're like, oh, it will be back. And you're just like, oh, yeah, cool. Can you guard our shit? Can you do all this? Yeah, the worthy ones are like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'm a plot device. You understand that, right? Like, <laughs> I have no identity. I have no wants and needs or desires. I'm here to serve you. So yeah, then they go home. The end. Well, well, they don't necessarily go home. They start on their journey home. I think the rest so of the series the next is just episode them. a. This is what I'm saying. I'm saying that the rest of the series is just them trying to find their way home. That's it. Yeah. Do you think so? No, I'm, I'm sure it's not. I'm, I'm, the I'm thinking, that, picks up right I'm thinking they're they're coming back and they're hovering over the desert, uh, and he's like, "Where's Zira? All I can see is uh, is Jeff's shiny butt. Is is Jeff is Jeff's <laughs> heaving back? Yeah, he's twerking like you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's taking something to Pound Town down there. <laughs> um, I wanted to mention one very odd, weird line. 
And that was when the when uh, Kygor uh, emerges from the ice. Bill says, "Huh, the ice ape cometh." Yeah, the ice. <laughs> Yeah, I picked up on that one too. I guess uh, this well, this might have been around the time frame of the Iceman uh, murders that were taking place in New York. I'm mm-hmm. sure that's probably what it was in reference to. The Iceman cometh. No, it's it's mm-hmm. a it's a, a 1930s play. Oh, is it? The Iceman cometh. Yeah, it's about how to you know quit being a, an alcoholic and murder your wife. It's just the weirdest oh. reference. I thought it, I always thought that that was in reference to the to the mob hitman, the Iceman. No, wow. no, it's I, am, a, I am one dumb, dumb rube. You know, I had no idea where the Iceman cometh from, but I recognize the at least recognize the the phrase. Yeah. Well, I so. mean, it is what what you think it is because uh, the main character would joke about the Iceman cometh because he said he would come home and find that his wife was dallying with the Iceman, much like the Milkman <laughs> in modern times. Oh, oh the Milkman cometh. Okay. The the milky ice man cometh. Jeez. The ice oh, man Jesus cometh Christ. with oh, the milky with man. That, I'm gonna go get another beer. Oh beer boy, right I picked a bad time to be sober. All right, guys, what did we think of Return to the Planet of the Apes, number six? Terror on Ice Mountain. I thought it was the best cartoon we've seen so far. It is my <laughs> favorite one. It is like obviously very cerebral. Made me think a lot about myself and mm-hmm. what society is like nowadays, and uh, what I would. But do it wasn't our was society. Those were person. apes, Adam. Oh, I totally missed the point. Then I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so I I mentioned it earlier. I actually liked the initial direction that this cartoon was taking. I thought that the the storytelling and the plot was a lot more mature than a lot of stuff that we had seen. But by the time they got to the point where they were building the balloon, like the mm. setup was great. I was like, oh, wow, this is okay. There's intrigue. Yeah. We've got, you know, there's there's all kinds of stuff. We can have a much more mature plot, yeah. something that we can kind of really kind of flesh out. And, and, and You got to see a little bit of the politics a little bit. Yeah, interesting characters, interesting intrigue and everything. And then it just became a dumpster fire. Like the second they launched the balloon, it was a trash heap. And so it was, like you said, they took five to seven minutes of good storytelling to set everything up. And then they jammed 20 seconds worth of storytelling into the remaining 18 minutes. They they spread it like thin thin butter over a, a big piece of bread. Yeah. Yeah, it was and, and and the way that they jumped around on certain things was ridiculous. Like Kygor came the fuck out of nowhere. Yeah. Like they're like, Hey, here's a big ice statue of an ape someone carved. No, just kidding. It's a motherfucking King Kong hidden inside of that. He was really cold for all those years. <laughs> but then his laser eyes heated up and then he Come on, Derek. some bitches off a cliff. I, I yeah. was pretty sure there was an ape inside of that the second I saw it. He has existed since legends began. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, he yeah. existed since the 1930s when King Kong was found. What? True. I think um, uh, 2060 years ago. I kept I kept comparing this to Thundar, just just in the storytelling realm because Thundar was 1972. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is 1975, so it's even it's a, li- a little bit past Thundar. But yes, that's basic you, math. When you think about Thundar, how much story they managed to cram into 20 minutes? 
like how how much they managed to like convey and get across in in that brief amount of time to this where so much of this is just sort of like dead space it's just like filler i think it's thundar had really good pacing yeah they no really no yeah had, yeah they really had mastery over the over the like let's time this out like uh these many things should happen so that they weren't trying to stretch like i really think yeah. that the the, someone, the writer platted this out and didn't really think about what it would take to do some of the the winter Animation. scenes. And yep. then the an, the animator and the director were like, "Okay, we gotta stretch this out. We need we need four more seconds, guys. Where can we grab thirty seconds on the tack <laughs> tack that onto to five scenes? No, no. The, the the artwork got done, the uh, voice acting got done." And they plotted out the episode and like, okay, we need twelve more minutes. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're doing it in the animation. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. We got twelve more minutes. On also we fired that writer. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Mm. So what did you, you guys think? think? Yeah, I mean, thinking about this with Th- Thunder, I, I definitely think like the seventies is is a good place to find more interesting content. Yeah, there's a lot of garbage buried in the past. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like um, books about the zoo. I, I don't know. I I thought it was kind of <laughs> it was trash in the second half of the episode. But I thought it was definitely neat watching something that was that was well well before my time mm. of Saturday morning cartoons. Yeah, you know, to to me like time zero was Voltron. Like anything that was pre Voltron was like just didn't fucking exist. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm watching this and and we'd mentioned it, you know, an hour ago or so. Was the fact that the intro to this was superb. Yeah. Like yeah, it was yeah. it was great. Like it had it hit all the high notes of like it was dark, it was moody, the music was awesome, sixty swipes and like shit dialing in and like bold colors and in your face and it was just awesome. And I am not an art major so I can't <laughs> say if any of that's thematic and correct but to me as the engineer who watched this <laughs> and the guy who's on board with that military industrial complex I liked it yeah you're bought and paid for we know <laughs> yeah I know <laughs> um, total fucking merc of the state I want the guys who made that intro to make an they're episode they're probably all dead now yeah <laughs> well I don't know we want, you, know, you want them to or make an episode I want the guys who made that intro to make an episode of Sectars. Ooh. Ooh. That's a crossover I want to see. Interesting. Ooh. Man, just from the idea of the way that they portray in the beginning the evil apes, like, dude, they could do some cool shit with the bad guys in Sectars. Yeah, I want to see that. A real moody, like, very dark, like, uh, um clearly okay with human sacrifice and torture sectars mm-hmm. uh, I didn't enjoy this some of the drawing was good background painting was pretty good um, but the the sa- the audio the sound was very good the uh, voice Except acting the was voice terrible acting. Yeah, yeah voice, voice acting, acting was, was terrible plotting was all over the place um, it started strong and then started to get into this like very rehashed uh, mm-hmm. Lost Horizons uh, stereotypical narrative, and I lost interest. Yeah, overall, what'd you think, great, Mike? But it was total crap. 
I, I, are you done watching the episode? I, I, could, I couldn't even get all the way through the episode. I started skipping around based on what you guys were talking about. But th- the intro pulls you in and you're like, wow. And then that quickly just goes to shit. And you're like, what in the hell is this? And, you know, it's like walking out of the theater bad. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, it has a very definite, like, it, if you reversed, if you inversed the structure of this episode, it would be great. You would have a climax at the end, but instead they have yeah, a climax yeah. in the beginning and then everything declines slowly. Yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if, if anybody at home listening to this does want to watch this, if they want to take a look at it, uh, seriously, first, um, God help you. Don't watch this. Go watch Aeronauts on Amazon Prime. <laughs> that's that's a much better movie. Uh, but if you do insist on watching this, d- do yourself a favor and watch it at two times speed. Like <laughs> honestly, you miss nothing with it being at two times speed, and all you waste is ten minutes rather than twenty. So um, I think we already covered. Also, if we watched this as kids, well, I'm pretty we sure were... none of us did. No, really, nope. no. Yeah. It was off the air by the time we were all born. They don't rerun this for some reason. For some <laughs> reason. I wonder why. It's, yeah. it's, it's the uh, science deniers in the government. We need, to, we need to take all the episodes and hide them <laughs> on, a, uh, it's on true. a mountaintop until Easy. they're ready. <laughs> for the so same reason I, people I don't have wear a masks. I, I'm looking at the, the end credit right now, and it is DePaint Freeling Productions. Are those the guys that actually wrote the book? Or was that the guy, one of the guys that wrote the book? And then... Because this is... Is this a French production? Is this an actual... Really could not tell you, buddy. Who who wrote the book, uh, Derek? The book was written by... I'd have to look his name up again. But he was he was a French dude. He wrote it in 1963. That's actually a pretty quick turnaround for a movie. Yeah, it really was. Because the movie came out in 1968. But to Pat Freeling, do they make anything else? The name is familiar, but I don't... I can't place it. They did opening titles for The Pink Panther... They did some entries in Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies, uh, the lightsaber effects in the original Star Wars. Oh, no shit! Yeah, very cool. And it was an man. It was an American animation production company, so not French. All right, should I ask the uh, the weighted question of the evening? Let's wait. Absolutely. It. Uh, would you let your children watch this program? For the three dads. For my three dads. I'll give you the quick answer. No, because it wasn't very good. Yeah, I, I, Fair enough. I doubt they would watch it. Like, they would <laughs> probably get as far as I did and then wander off and, you know, start watching bullshit YouTube videos. Animate. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think I don't think that she would be interested in this. And um, I don't think I would expose her to it. So you don't think that this is an important uh, piece of animation history? No. That uh, is a required <laughs> reading for your child? No. Okay. It's more of a... It's not a seminal work. It's more of a seminal work. <laughs> God, I was waiting for that. No, I it, I, I, think the, 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 the very few things that, that we as kind of a quorum liked about this, we liked about it because we recognized, like, we... we the opening we recognized essentially the use of 1960s cultural kind of cinematics that were you know that were put up on the screen and that's why we thought it was cool i I doubt that that my child will 
you know, when they're four or five years old, I'm like, hey, you want to watch this cartoon? They're going to be like, dad, this sucks. And I'd be like, mom's going to wash your mouth out with soap. But yes, you're right. This sucks. <laughs> Let's go watch something else. <laughs> While you are correct, you must be punished. While you're correct, this show fucking sucks. Let's go pick a different one. I would say that this would be really good to lampoon with like a mystery science theater 3000 type thing that's the only reason why i'd watch it again is to like make fun of it constantly to whoever wants to listen well, to me well this is your chance to do that well yeah. no well like yeah. while, like while it's playing um but i mean we pretty much covered all of the points of like yeah it's basically what we're doing right now so yeah i will get i will give it I will give it one more prop. The way that it attempted to tell the story was very refreshing. Granted, it ended up sucking, but it was refreshing from watching the, to quote my mother, this will make your brain rot crap that we've been watching for the past couple weeks. Yeah. So it was yeah. a refreshing suck. <laughs> I mean, Heathcliff was terrible. I would just like to point out... Um, during this scene in which they are trying to build a hot air balloon, something no ape has successfully ever done, uh, on his workbench there is a published book called Balloon Rigging. <laughs> <laughs> is there really? How was this book published if no ape has successfully built a balloon? It's sorcery. It, it was a band book. I'm looking at this balloon again. This thing is so fucking... It has, like, a stove in it. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like a survival canister. And what did they have? They had, like, a laundry basket that the friggin' white dude twerked in. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yep. you're right. Balloon rigging. He has a model of a balloon on his desk. He has, like, micrometers and shit and neon lighting. How do these people not have flight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're monkeys. <laughs> this is why you are a monkey. Yep. I mean, look at... Because really, Jesus. what does flight get you, really? Nothing. It gets you crashed uh, and... Extraordinarily fast travel between point A and point B. Not if you're mm. in a balloon. A cool it's sensation I mean, of flying. Do we want to keep this on the list? Fuck no. No. I'm I'm ambivalence. Like, I, I could go either way. I think that giant monkey coming out of nowhere was amazing. I think we can expect <laughs> just... Random nonsense from future episodes. <laughs> like suddenly they're fighting aliens for no reason and they never mention it again. That would be very... That, that happened in the TV series of Logan's Run. <laughs> so David's a yes. Mike and Derek are a no. Uh, oh, Matt. M M Mike, do you vote no? Yeah. You don't want any Matt more 70s? Ever. I'm kind of the the best thing that came out of the 70s was the 80s. <laughs> so fucking erroneous. <laughs> Jesus, kitty fucking Christ. Best yeah, thing that came Mike. out of the 70s was a new hope. Yeah, Mike, I was born in there the 70s. Is yeah. So much. Awesome I think you're shit. missing something very important that is right in front of you. <laughs> so you don't even remember the 70s. Let let me let me actually ask a very important question before I give my final vote? Because my initial vote is no. Do we have any other cartoons that we're going to watch that are essentially pre-early 80s? Yeah. So we, we have a, a bunch more? I, we, we still have, we have a bunch, but we have others. Thunder is still on the list, I believe. Okay. It was, it was really nice seeing something 
pre, I'd say like 1982 on here to see how stuff has changed and kind of like the beginning of American cartoons to what we have nowadays or what we've been watching in the show or whatever. So that was very appreciated. But man, this show is trash. Battleship Yamato. I actually, I'm going to vote that we keep it because it's just weird. It's really weird. And I feel like it's hard to describe why I want to keep it. Um, I don't like the property. I didn't like the episode. I don't think it's going to get better. Um, But it is like like you're saying, Derek, it's like a window both into another time and a more idiotic way of thinking that it just is illuminating. (laughs) So I actually had a thought as I was watching this show. Oh, don't do that. And, And here we go. How many people in the United States, when this show was initially aired, had color televisions? Mm. 75? Like two. The president and the vice president. No, they had (laughs) color TVs. It was just like the Technicolor. It wasn't like really good quality, but you could still, you know, you still had like RGB, you know. But was, I mean, were were color televisions, I, I know they existed at this point. Like in the in the seventies, because color televisions existed in the sixties. Yeah. Like, were color televisions commonplace? Yeah, I think in so. The mid seventies, or I think it was, was it still common. like black and white was in the fifties. Yeah, that, yeah, the early sixties was when when TV when uh, normal household televisions became color, and you got to think that over the course of a decade, that probably means it was relatively abundant by that point in time. They would have been small. They would have been tube. Small and tube TVs, but right, yeah, like the TV that my parents gave me was their TV from the seventies, and it was like a ten-inch, you know, uh, big two, uh, like the, it was longer in the back than it was wide in the yeah. screen. And you um, turned it on, and it hummed. You could hear like the the tube was warming up. Your dad gave <laughs> you a ten-inch tube. Um, you know, so it had the, I just the looked four up four channels that you had like the little knob, and you'd have to bang on the side of the TV to get reception. You had your little sister stand on top of it with uh, tin foil. Tin foil, yeah. I'm torn, Matt. I originally said no because I didn't like it, but oh, you're correct in not liking it. It's not good. Like I'm actually paused on the the first scene where our intrepid scientists go meet the astronauts in the desert, and you have their outlines, and the background is very poorly done. Like it's <laughs> not; it, it just looks like scribbles. It looks it it honest to goodness looks like a storyboard where someone just sat down with a sharpie and then slapped this bitch together in twenty minutes, and then took like some watercolor markers and were like, okay, here's some sand. And some yeah, some of the done. extreme zoom outs do seem like that, or yeah. like, okay, th- these people are animating it like on the cells as they're shooting it. Yeah, they're, that, they're just drawing stick figures. It's All right, good fuck stuff. it. I'll change my vote. I'll go with Matt. That's right. Matt, I got your back. Man. That's right. I'll I'll watch some more crappy '70s animation. I'm down with it. Well, so we're not going to force Adam to do the tiebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> Probably for the best. I didn't really have a speech worked out for that yet. Although we could still have that have me be the tiebreaker because we did say at some point in time that Mike has three votes. So <laughs> I, st- I still don't understand that. <laughs> I, I feel like you guys are just like forcing that as like some kind of Deus Ex Machina. I think he's used them all up. 
You think he's used them all up? Okay. <laughs> oh, it's a one-time use thing? Uh. <laughs> no, no you only have two, it's, three votes it's a, total. It's a three-times use thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you only have three total votes. And uh, you blew them all that one time. Yeah. Wait, wait which, which time was that? <laughs> when we said you had three votes. So yeah, let's let's keep it. Let's go ahead and keep Return to the Planet of the Apes. We'll keep it in our 70s toolbox for when we want to dip into some of these older cartoons. Um, you know what? I'm going to actually put out a blanket vote on every 70s cartoon to keep. Because... Wow. I don't know. You were going to regret few in... that. We already had to cut one, the Hound Cats, because we couldn't find it anywhere. I don't think that was 70s. I think that was even before. You think that was the 60s? 60s. The Hound Cats? It, it looks like it's uh, 18... It says 1872 to 1973, 18. so maybe it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long-running show. 1800s. Damn, we're fucking digging. It's on the little thing where you have to spin it around and look through the little uh, viewfinder, and it's just exactly. like the same looping animation over and over again. Mm-hmm. While, while, like, in the background, your wife is reading the script to you in funny yes. voices. And then someone's <laughs> playing the piano. Exactly. They've got a candle lit, and they're changing out the slides. You know, we have, uh, what do we have? The Herculoids, the Terrahawks, uh, the Adventures of Spider-Man, of Superman, 1941-1943. I forgot about those. Yeah, Mike's, Fl- Mac- the Fleischer cartoons, those are awesome. Yeah. We got Thunderbirds, but I think Thunderbirds are like the, the puppets, aren't they? Yeah, it's live oh, action. Oh, that. Yeah. That, that, I'll watch. Well, you will be disappointed. All right. David, what is our next segment? So, one universe conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. forgot about this part. Ooh. This one plays into a lot of stuff. I kind of think that uh, I'm all for adopting the canon of the show as our reality. Um, so, I think this is actually the future of Earth after Thundar. After After Thundar. Thundar. Post-Thundar. Wow. So we put Thundar way out in front of all the other stuff, right? Yeah, Thundar is now the end of our timeline. Yeah, Thundar is supposed to be 2194. I'm sorry, 3194. Because it's 2,000 years in the future after 1994. And what is this set? No, that would be 3994. And this one is technically set in 3997. Or 3979, sorry. 3979, Two thousand yeah. years out. So this is essentially right before Thundar. Mm. So then society it's, collapses into Thundar. It's a bit too close for yeah. those for those numbers. I think maybe you're right. I mean, may, I mean the thing about th- the thing about this show is, I get the feeling that we're looking at like an isolated pocket because of mm. civilization. Cornelia says like mm. there's like feral tribes out there of apes, right? And uh yeah. yeah. Uh so I get the feeling like we think that there's this huge infrastructure, but in fact maybe we're just looking at this like maybe we're just looking at something the size of California that is the ape current ape culture. And okay. Uh, and um the rest of the world is just this super science and sorcery. So if I had to put it in a country, I would actually put this in Spain. Spain? Yeah, because to, they have the Alps. To torture them? Uh, 
Well, no, like in in future, <laughs> they've got lush environments. They've got you know the temperate environments. They've got the cold. They've got the desert. They've got all that stuff. And so I think that this is happening in Spain in thirty nine seventy nine. So we're thinking that this is like contemporaneous with Thundar, or a couple years in the, along the Thundar tum- timeline. So Thundar exists in like Arizona. And then this exists in Spain. Well, Thundar definitely exists in North America. They make specific references to the La Brea Tar to La Brea Tar Pits and to New York, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Easily. Yeah. It's like equidistant, right? La Brea is in Los Angeles. New York is in New York. I, I believe he tra- they travel across the continent in the course of the first season. See, if, if I actually have to put this someplace, I would say this is taking place in Bhutan. Bhutan? Yeah. Bhutan. <laughs> because you, you have the deserts that are part of the, the uh, desert steps that are actually leading up to Tibet. You have the high mountain ranges that are actually attached to it as well. Like, this, this is definitely, this is not in the U.S. This is not taking place in the U.S. No, Spain. Bhutan. (laughs) (laughs) Does Bhutan have the wonderful, lush, temperate climates? Spain is kind of the U.S. of Bhutan, right? (laughs) So, Spain. (laughs) Just saying. Right? He makes a convincing argument. He said Spain many times. Yep. (laughs) And you did say Alps at one point in time, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, my entire my entire argument for this being somewhere in the Alps was that gondola. Just the That's gondola, yeah. 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 Okay, so if this is close to Thundar, then is there a uh, monkey or a ape sorcerer that uh, sort of created this zone? Mm. Um, so this is one of the citadels of sorcery, is what you're saying. Yes. This is one of the seven citadels. Do you think that... Um, God, what was his... And, and is it the worthy one? <laughs> I can see the worthy yeah. one being a sorcerer. Yeah, that's the reason why he was like, no sweat. I hope you guys. Who cares? Yeah, Whatever. who gives a shit? Yeah. yeah, you can't figure me out. I'm not worried about this army. It also explained where the giant ape comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, plot device, that's where he came from. Uh, plot device island. Um I can also see, pretty much. I can also see what was uh oh um the muck, Ukla, Ukla the muck, Ukla the muck. I can see him being like a related or a subspecies to these apes. Yep. Although technically he's a cat man, but he looks a lot like an ape. He does. Is he that the he marriage does. of cat and ape? Could be. <laughs> But probably not. Don't look for the answer. You won't like what you find. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree with all you guys. Perfect. However, I will say this. (laughs) Jesus. Kygor, obviously, Mm -hmm. is the precursor to all the ape people. Uh, Oh. He himself actually came in possession of one of the artifacts that Stampede left behind that Hellspont was looking for. When he came into possession of this artifact and its exposure to the cosmic radiations, he accidentally mutated the apes into ape men. And he has watched the entire 
his entire society of ape people grow into something entirely different the entire time longing for death but he's been cursed with immortality (laughs) as he gets trapped in ice and he himself is the great 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 grandfather of Ukla the Mok wow that's cool that's what I say is that because he fucked a cat because he fucked a cat yeah (laughs) (laughs) easily this is important a giant cat uh, I'm sure we'll probably find a giant cat at some point in time uh, in our animated yeah. series. Did he fuck He-Man's cat? Oh, you think he mm. fucked Battle Cat? We haven't gotten to He-Man yet, but maybe. Maybe this. Maybe Ukla the Mock is the marriage between Kaigor, the cursed giant monkey man, and... Uh, He-Man's cat. He-Man's cat. The Battle Cat. Hmm. It's beautiful. I think that's all that I have. Oh, I also have something in here about uh, uh, Kaigor cursed to watch the fall of his uh, children as well as they destroy themselves in nuclear fire so oof that is a hundred percent accurate so he would be considered to be the second of stampede's children the first being hellspot who stampede sacrificed to prove the sins of humanity and usher in the great cataclysm so now let's get into dirty Thirty. So, Matt, you immediately jumped on Jeff and Zara as lovers. I jumped on that the way Jeff jumped on Zara. And I actually jumped on <laughs> Bill and Cornelius being lovers. Yeah. That's the reason why they wanted to get away from the group. That's the reason why they wanted to take that hot air balloon ride. Do you themselves. think the whole hot air balloon subplot was really like a weird uh, sexual uh, play role play where they're like, yeah, oh no, we've been separated. As soon as they went out of the view of everybody else, like there was a lot of twerking. Like a <laughs> lot. A lot of mating display right there. I th- like seriously, I'm just going to tug on this rope. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like uh, although Jeff and Zara have an intense physical relationship. Uh, Bill and Cornelius have like this unrequited sexual tension that mm. gets them both off, but can never, you know, they would never really want to consummate. They're more like Regency lovers where they're like, oh my, Mr. Cornelius, I never knew a man of such great wealth. <laughs> <laughs> Are you thinking of like <laughs> the Imperial time? No, no, Regency. Like, uh, okay. Uh, during uh, Jane Austen times. That was Regency era, right? I don't know. I don't Probably. Know. I'm pretty sure that was the Regency. Yeah. I mean, Jane Austen didn't write about it very much, but they definitely fucked. They did. They did. But there was definitely a lot of, like, sidelong glances as foreplay. <laughs> right. Because you didn't do that until you got married. But once you got married, you fucked. You full on glanced. <laughs> Yeah, you yeah. Got when you got married, you just glance. stared. Full yeah. frontal glancing. Damn. Sta- staring at that booty. I also thought that it it might be a little bit more probable as well that Bill and Jeff are the only humans at this point in time. Well, there's humans who are like uh, subhuman humanoids who are kept for um, uh, experimentation. But they're yeah, but not, we, we didn't they're see not intelligent. Here. We didn't see any of those here. We only Not saw in this Bill episode, Jeff, no. Right? Yeah. So I was thinking Bill and Jeff were like the last humans in this area. We didn't actually see any other humanoids, so 
they're probably boning down at least. You think with each other or? Yeah, with each other. But it's more of like a, just like a physical relationship type thing. Like when they see each other, they just sort of like pull their clothes off. Like they're, they're just two straight men enjoying each other's bodies. <laughs> hmm. hmm. And you think that's what happens when uh, you're the, you and someone else are the last men on earth? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're, you're, you're just, you're celebrating your masculinity with another man. That's all. Adam, you don't have to wait that long. <laughs> you can give in to the things that give you pleasure. I give you permission. I will say that based on the movies, uh, Zero's a freak. <laughs> oh, Zero's a freak? Yeah. Nice. Okay. What happens in the movies? Uh, she's like, like trying to pair up, uh, the humans in cages and like watch them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Watch their mating rituals. Yeah. She wants to observe them to the act. Babies. Yeah. What cartoon is number 31? Ooh. 31. It's going to be high in the alphabet. Captain Power and the Soldiers of Fortune? God damn. Of the future. Is it really? Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. That's all you did. Oh, fuck yes. We're and doing live action. Derek. Derek and David, uh, you could have a knife fight over this one. I feel dirty. <laughs> I feel dirty that we have live action in here. Oh, no, I'm out. Damn it, I have something in the queue already. You're out? I don't. Oh, no. I really Wait, don't Wait, it's between this. me and Matt? God, you have the... And Derek. <laughs> the worst people for this. Me. It's going to be me, Matt, Holy crap. That's right. It's me and Mike in the queue, isn't it? It's you and Mike. Yep. Yep. What are we talking about here? Yep. So we're both completely out of this role. I do not want this. So I don't want this either. Even money. Let's see who it's going to be. To that is Adam. Big whammies, big whammies. No. <laughs> what? Yes. No. <laughs> yes. God. I do not want this one. <sighs> this is wasted on me. Oh, dude. Adam, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm going to butcher this. It's going to be great. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to destroying this episode. Oh man, I I only this is this is one of those moments where it's like um, like we were talking about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Like I remember this with fond memories. It oh cannot my be God. <laughs> this is yeah. episode. 10? I was fucking five, dude. Come on. So episode it's 10, five. and the thumbnail for this is a giant mechanical bird. Yes. Oh, yes. This Ooh. is tying directly in to Silverhawks. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, boy. So that's in the queue, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. But coming up next, next time should be... Spider-Man Unlimited. Destiny Unleashed. Spider-Man or Spider-Man? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. It is always Spider-Man. Spider-Man. The famed geriatric <laughs> file Spider-Man. All right, guys. I actually have to drop off now. So, okay. for uh, amazingly Cliff. terrible, I've been Matt. <laughs> Bye, Matt. See you, Matt. For, Sorry, for Matt, I've been amazingly terrible. And for, this is Derek, and my beard doesn't match up. For amazingly terrible, I've been David.
this is a Mike and my kids keep on bursting in the door. <laughs> Are you gonna go discipline them? We'll make them watch cartoons. I'll teach yeah. them. We didn't even say our names at the beginning of this one, did we? We didn't even introduce ourselves. Amazingly Terrible is produced by David Marcus. Send your emails to monotonously terrific at amazinglyterrible.com. Music by Josh Woodward. <laughs> <laughs>